This episode is brought to you by the AIA Film Challenge. Let architecture inspire your next short for a chance to win $5,000 in a screening at the Architecture and Design Film Festival in New York. The fourth annual AIA Film Challenge invites filmmakers to team with architects and share stories of architects and civic leaders designing a better future for our communities. Register today at AIAFilmChallenge.org. That's AIAFilmChallenge.org. Hi-ho! Welcome to Indie Film Weekly, a no-film school podcast. I'm Liz Nord. I'm Charles Hain. I'm Eric Lures. And I'm John Fusco. It's June 28th, 2018. And on this week's show, how Instagram and YouTube are competing for your content, the Academy gets more indie, and as always, news you can use about new gear, upcoming deadlines, indie film releases, and Ask No Film School. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's show. I'm excited. It's still summer. Uh, we are in downtown Brooklyn, New York, as always, here to bring you everything you might have missed while you were busy making films. One thing you might have missed is VidCon. Uh, as part of a major phenomenon that frankly can be a bit mystifying to some of us who've been making movies for a while, the ninth annual VidCon happened last week. It's a four-day event taking place in Anaheim, California, that celebrates the wide world of online video. And it's no fringe event. Last year, I kid you not, 30,000 people attended this bad girl. So who are they? Well, there are three tracks. A community track for fans who want to come see their favorite online video creators, a.k.a. YouTube stars. A creator's track for, guess who? And an industry track for, quote, corporations, brands, and technology companies building businesses in the online video ecosystem, end quote. If there was ever corp speak, that is it. So to put things in perspective, the industry badge for VidCon costs 850 bucks, which is more than a music or film badge at South by Southwest, and around the same as a South by Southwest interactive badge. Now, as you can imagine, YouTube has a huge stake in this game and is a presenting sponsor of VidCon. On the conference's opening day, and certainly not by coincidence, Instagram made a play to attract YouTube creators by announcing IGTV, a long-form vertical video player that expands video from the previous maximum duration of one minute on Instagram to a maximum duration of one hour. Instagram also announced that its global user base has reached one billion. That was Dr. Evil. So there is a real potential threat to YouTube there. One billion users. Yeah, exactly. Dr. Evil's right here in the booth. I've already started to see a couple of those quote-unquote hour, up to hour-long videos show up in my feed where it's like so-and-so friend has a video yeah. waiting. And I'm like, what the hell is that? But apparently it's already been incorporated. Um, I don't know if I would watch an entire hour. Yeah, uh, zero interest. In yeah, that. that's that's a lot. Yeah, that's a I lot. mean, you guys aren't the target demo anymore. I, I, I work very hard on my Insta stories just to have like a beginning, middle, end. Oh, that's sweet. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they, but, they are showing up within your Insta feeds already, and there's a separate standalone app that is an IGTV app, but I totally agree. The first one I saw pop up in my feed was to celebrate IGTV, here's one hour of Cole Sprouse eating a burger. I'm Ooh. like, for real? <laughs> it's like That's like the bad days of YouTube. Like That's the early bad days of YouTube. But the interesting thing for me, I think, is going to be BTS kind of content. Like, mm -hmm. for instance, uh, Chivo has an insane number of Insta followers, right? And a beautiful feed. Yeah. And so, like, presumably he's probably not going to take the time to do a 60-minute. But, like, his social media team might if he has one. And it'd be really interesting to see sort of a... 12-minute behind-the-scenes video of an upcoming shoot. Probably the big people won't do an hour all the time, but I think there's an interesting angle there. 
Well, it certainly has a potential, and YouTube definitely thinks so. So in a counter move, YouTube revealed some big new features that will let video creators make money in new ways on its platform. So two of the main innovations seem plucked straight from the playbook of Patreon that we talked about on the show a couple weeks ago. Namely, YouTube is rolling out channel memberships for channels with 100,000 subscribers or more, where fans can pay $4.99 per month to become a member of that channel's community and get access to exclusive content. Also like Patreon, YouTube's partnering with a custom t-shirt company, Teespring, to allow creators to sell custom merch directly through their channels. And amazingly, YouTube's not taking a cut. On either. They're taking a cut on, on I believe they'll take a cut on the channel memberships, but not on the t-shirts. So like a lot of YouTube, a lot of YouTubers sell merch already, but they're not like using the official way and it's not as seamless. So YouTube's really trying to say, hey, we're the place for we are the place to put your videos at. Well, I'm going to get myself a Wolf Crow hat. Yeah, if I he totally. offers it. If he yeah. offers it. Wolf yeah. Crow better have some swag. I'm going to get myself a Wolf Crow. Oh, you said, there you go. I'm going to get a Fandor. Uh, I wonder better. what I do wonder what the VIG is, though, on those channel memberships, because it should be like YouTube always. What's has, a VIG? Oh, vigorish. It's a betting term for the cut that's taken by the house. Mm. Um, and because uh, YouTube takes a hefty cut from ad revenue, right? Like notoriously right. large. And if they're taking a cut from like if you're doing a channel membership, that cut for YouTube should be like pat- Patreon size. Patreon's what, 5%? 4%? It's small. It's yeah. small. YouTube better be taking a small cut of that. If YouTube is taking their normal vig off that, then that is no deal at all. I yeah. Think. It's interesting that they're even trying. Um, another pertinent announcement coming out of VidCon came from the event's founder, Hank Green, who wants to encourage more of us to make great stuff online and is therefore offering a $2,000 grant to a different video creator each week for the next year, which for math heads like John amounts to 52 video creators getting a cumulative total of $104,000. You can apply if you're a resident of the U.S., sorry, everybody else, who is currently creating at least two online videos a month for at least the past six months, and if you have less than 150,000 views consistently. And uh, we'll put a link to that application in this week's podcast post. And uh, in a continued effort to diversify its members, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences invited 928 new members this week. That's going to be one heck of a staff meeting when that takes place, Uh, which is higher than the 774 invitations sent out last year, 683 in 2016, and 322 in 2015. So with that extra 928 just invited, the total voting body now stands at 6,241 voting members. You know what? I'd actually expect it to be bigger. Yeah? Yeah, I guess over 6,000 feels like a... Healthy amount. Um, if they just added almost a thousand. That's like a yeah. yeah. Like, and this is of course like yeah a real push as they've been doing over the past few years after the Oscars so white backlash to invite nine hundred is almost is unprecedented. Uh, the acting branch was the branch most expanded, adding one hundred and sixty eight new members. While the music branch added some big name stars like uh, Melissa Etheridge, who I think won an Academy Award for that Inconvenient Truth song, and Kendrick Lamar. of the invited 2018 class were made up of female invitees, bringing the overall female percentage, making up the Academy, to 31%. New invitees include Tiffany Haddish, Amy Schumer, Daisy Ridley, and Jennifer Grey of Dirty Dancing. 
Uh, Heyo. I, I'm glad that she finally got in. Uh, I don't she know. She danced her way right onto the list. It's about time. The Hollywood Reporter reports that Beast of the Southern Wild star Convention A. Wallace, at the current age of 14, is the youngest Academy member ever, while composer Sofia Guabadalina, at 86, is the oldest. Ten of the invitees, the Hollywood Reporter announces, were invited by more than one branch and can decide which one to affiliate with, which I thought was pretty interesting. For example, the Florida Project's Sean Baker was asked to join both the director's and the writer's branch. And then I guess he has to decide uh, which he wants to be a part of. Kumail Nanjani of The Big Sick got tapped by both the actor's and writer's branch, and his wife and co-writer Emily V. Gordon got a writer's invite, while Keep it with me. Zoe Kazan, who plays Najani's on-screen wife, is an acting invitee. And Swedish filmmaker Ruben Osland, The Square, also was a double invitee, scoring director and writing invites. Yeah, I mean, I should add that, like, several of the new members are really pretty indie. And we've interviewed a bunch of them. John had one of his, you know, best podcasts with Ruben Osland. And Lana Wilson, the documentary filmmaker who we've followed over the years, got into the Academy. Kian Tran, who's a DP, a female Asian DP, she got in. We have an interview with her on the site. So we'll throw up uh, some of the interviews, links to some of the interviews. Nanfu Wong. Wong, yeah, yeah. right. That's how you know if you're in the indie scene, when a lot of your social media scroll is people bragging about their uh, Academy invitations. Right, hashtag humble brag. Passed over once again. (laughs) <laughs> uh, but that's what it's like. No, the Academy definitely needs more white men, and I will recommend you next yeah, year. I just don't think they have my email address. <laughs> so if you listen to last week's show, you might remember our report that AMC finally put their money where their mouth is after months of feuding with MoviePass, starting their own subscription service. This is a $20 a month pass called Stubbs A-List that lets subscribers see up to three movies a week. On Monday, Alamo Drafthouse announced they'll be following in AMC's footsteps and jumping in the subscription game. The service, which they call Alamo Season Pass, will start as a beta test in one location, Yonkers, New York, on July 18th, which is not really... All, all of great, all the locations. All great inventions and experiments were birthed out of Yonkers, New York, I believe. I guess so. It was the first Alamo Drafthouse in New York, so, sure. you know... But not the first Alamo Draft Fest anywhere. No. I or mean, by mean, any means the most important. You know what I bet? I bet it's one of the only indie theaters up in that area, and so people are more likely to buy a subscription. Oh, yeah. Well, for whatever reason, Alamo Draft House's version sounds incredibly convenient compared to MoviePass's increasingly complicated system. You'll simply just use the Drafthouse mobile app to make your purchase, and once you arrive at the theater, it'll unlock your tickets. So you don't have to wait in line to scan your barcode at the box office, and your server just checks your ticket once you're seated. You can purchase extra tickets for your party when you make your seat reservation, which is, I think, something that is now an add-on for Moving Pass subscribers. Um, there's been a whole bunch of new updates for them this past couple weeks. Not all of them great. Each week, Alamo Draft House will be inviting people from a wait list you can sign up for if you are a member of their free rewards program. Um, so that wait list is for people who want to try the new subscription service. The FAQ page explains that the price and other features of the season pass will be detailed on your invitation. So there hasn't been actually much revealed in the way of pricing. And once you receive your invitation, you'll have two weeks to decide if you want to purchase your pass. 
Other details like pricing, as I said, are scant, but Alamo is giving us a few hints. They say, quote, in order to learn what features our customers like the most, we're going to test different features of the program at different price points. It's possible during the beta test that you may subscribe to a slightly different plan than someone else. News out of the MoviePass camp last week was less promising, with the service saying it would introduce surge pricing in addition to launching a $164 million bond sale to try and keep the lights on. Womp womp. That's expensive rent. (laughs) Yeah. So I think we're seeing a trend here from exhibitors that is definitely going to spread like wildfire. I mean, it's been two in a week, and it seems like Alamo literally was just waiting for someone else to be the first to do this. Um, So even if MoviePass isn't around much longer, we have them to thank for the disruption of the industry and seeing this new model of ticketing, um, which could be around for a long time. That's a great point, John. And now for some tech and gear news, here's Mr. Charles Hain. Uh, hello, everybody. Uh, our first story in tech news this week is about Filmstro, which, for those of you who haven't heard of it, is a handy tool that allows for customizable stock music. So usually if you need music for your uh, piece, you have two choices. Either you find the budget to pay an actual composer, which is everybody's top choice, or if you don't have the budget, you work with stock music that is totally locked in. And it's usually hard to find precisely the right feeling you're looking for that changes just as you need it to in time with your edit. Filmstro is an interesting sort of middle ground where they solve that problem by using stock music but allowing users to keyframe specific aspects of that stock music to make it better perform its job for your edit. You need it to start small and then build dynamic energy. You can do that. Um, it's available as a standalone app. There's a plugin for Premiere Final Cut 10. We've played with it. It's cool, but it's always cost something. There's been no way to do it without paying some sort of money. They're generous with their pricing. There's one-off licenses for a month. There's academic and nonprofit discounts. But now there's a free way to get started. They have released more than 1,000 of their tracks for free. Even if you're monetizing your video on YouTube or IGTV... Uh, I don't know how you monetize IGTV, but there's probably going to eventually yeah, be a not way. Yet, but there will be. Uh, you can use Filmstro Music. If you want to use it for a commercial project, you need to pay, of course. Filmstro's got to eat. But other than that, it is a free service. This is super smart. Filmstro is cool, but I've always felt like it wasn't really taking off because there's no way to get you addicted to it. There's no way to, like, use it on a couple small projects and get used to it and get, like, addicted to it so that when you have a paid project, you know about it and you remember it. So, Way to go, Charles, thinking like a drug dealer. Yeah, well, I mean, drug dealers have some really smart business strategy. Especially in Yonkers. Yeah. <laughs> Stringer Bell was taking those classes at Baltimore Community College. He was learning about supply and true, demand. True, true. Um, it's never a good podcast if we don't make a wire reference. So, yeah. Or an Idris Elba reference. There we go. More importantly. So there we go. Filmstro, learning from drug dealers, giving us a free hit to get us addicted, <laughs> which is a smart move. Uh, Next up, Ryan Charles dug into the power of chromatic color grading plugin for Final Cut Pro 10. Uh, FCP 10 has some strong and improving color grading tools after like five years of insisting on the color board, which I know some people love, but I find very odd. Uh, They finally broke down and did normal three-way color correcting with uh, a recent update. But to get a lot of the power you get out of other applications, plugins are still really useful. And chromatic uses Mocha as a tracker to allow you to do really sophisticated tracks with your color grading, which is a very nice feature since most of us are getting pretty addicted to tracking for our color grading these days. Chromatic also allows you to export LUTs 
from your color grade. So you can like do a nice color grade, then export it as a .cube and put it on a monitor or put it in a uh, apply it to your camera. So that's a really nice feature. And then best of all, Chromatic allows you to attach a color grading surface. So Final Cut 10 is working on their color grading tools, but in the meantime, plugins are really filling in the gap. And especially if you want to use something like the Tangent Ripple to grade your footage, Chromatic is a good thing to look at. Last up, as Liz mentioned at the top, Instagram is going to go for long form with IGTV. Jason Boone dove into the workflow of the new format, and it appears really well thought out. With the original Instagram platform, it was actually really hard to get anything on Instagram except through the app. And it was a big frustration for people who were like professional Instagrammers who want to like schedule things and stuff like that. You had to like put it in the phone and put it on the app. Well, with IGTV, you no longer have to be just on mobile to upload, which is actually great because getting a 60-minute video that you've edited onto your phone just to post it to Instagram would be really annoying. You can upload it from the web, on your normal computer, on the app. You've got a variety of ways to do it. It's a much better workflow. Um, obviously, the video has to be vertical which is kind of a move I totally respect, especially because Snap has gotten us used to vertical video. And interestingly, it's a one-hour limit, but it's only a one-hour limit for bigger accounts. If you are a smaller account, it is a 15-minute limit, which I think is actually kind of a savvy move. Because, uh, you know, I have like... I don't know however many Instagram followers I have. It's not a lot. Oh, come on, billion. you know, you know exactly how many. <laughs> I, you I have. only know because over the weekend we were upstate and there was something we decided who was going to take the first turn in a game by who had the most Insta followers. Oh my god! Um, and I got to go first because I had the most Insta followers. <laughs> wow, we, I don't even think I follow you. I only <laughs> have like nine hundred followers. I don't have like shut a, up. Only nine hundred. That's a lot. I mean, I'm, I I don't think I'm getting an hour of upload time on IGTV. Billion. Wait, it's let's tell everyone who's listening our Insta handle so they can follow us. At Charles Hayne. Oh, I'm at Liz Film. We're both the same as our Twitters. I'm. What am I? I have one. Uh, e Lures eighty seven. <laughs> that is my birth year. It's like it's the old kind of mom AOL email kind of address kind of thing. So my my Instagram handle is has kind of a story behind it because I actually had to change it once I got hired here. Um, it used to be Jizzcam because <laughs> I remember that. My, <laughs> I don't know if I'd follow that on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, my uh, I got a lot of weird people following. I bet me. people I imagine, were really I imagine, disappointed yeah, by yeah, your feed. Yeah. Certain yeah, people. No, definitely because yeah. there's nothing really on there. Jizzy um, or Cammy. Yeah. But so Ryan Koo, who is our founder, he made me change it because now I'm a professional person, and uh, so <laughs> well, we were trying to pretend <laughs> like you were respectable. Yeah. Now it's penis and larger. Yeah. At, <laughs> Now it's uh, it's big dick energy. What is, I read that for the today for the first time. What is that? Wait, why are you guys all getting this stuff? I don't. It's the I don't. Twitter trend of the day is big dick energy. What? Who said it? Somebody. Uh, said it goes it. back to Ariana Grande and okay. Pete, uh, whatever his face. That's how it ends. I don't like thinking about what's in that guy's pants. I can't believe they're together. What, what, I mean, this is a big departure from our. He's a good guy. Really? Yeah, he seems nice. He seems like. Ew! I think he seems. He has gross. a lot of teeth. I don't like him. I saw him do stand up once and it oh, was good. Oh, was he good? Yeah. Anyways, uh <laughs> not Jizz Cam anymore. Now it's Jim's Cam. Uh which is <laughs> You're not even named Jim. J I M Which I guess is my newer S- nickname. My more adult nickname is Jim. My 
younger nickname was Jizz when I was uh, in wow. high school. So. <laughs> when I was seven years old running around the playground. <laughs> yep. I don't want to know why. My parents called me it uh, <laughs> actually from, I guess, since I was three years old. So. Ah. My, it was my dad's There's special. There's like a lot to unpack here, folks. Yeah. He was like, you're made he's like, for my yeah. jizz. He's like, you're made for my jizz. Wait, is this a real story? <laughs> no, this is uh, Oh, this my is God. <laughs> you guys, you can probably hear my face. It's so loud right now. Regardless, anyway. to wrap up Instagram, we will find out if any of us get an... We're going to do a test to see if any of us have an account powerful enough to upload an hour of video. And please follow us all on Instagram. You got we'll to you know. reel me in on those. those otherwise, I'm just going to keep going. Wow. <laughs> I was kind of curious where it was going to go, frankly. It's like a train wreck. Okay, go, Charles, go. Well, next up is Asno Film School. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Let's see. What have we been asked? James Arrow asked us, can I legally use snippets of TV news stories relating to the story I'm exploring in my short film? What permissions are needed, if any? And this is kind of my my area, Charles, but... You came up with an answer, and I'd love to hear what you have to say to James. Yeah, and then I'd love to be uh, – I would I would love to – yeah, we can have a conversation about it. <laughs> so, um, James, that's a great question. But to answer it, we're going to need to ask you a bunch of questions, which is that annoying lawyer thing where they're like, I need more info. The reason why this is a confusing area is because there's something in copyright called fair use, which refers to times where it is totally fair or all right for you to use other media in your media. So, for instance – In feature documentaries, if you're going to be released in theaters or on TV, then you need permission for all the clips and you need to pay licensing fees because you're making money. And that is absolutely something the doc has to license. But if you're not profiting from your work in any way, you're just giving it away for free. Or if you're transforming or commenting on it in a significant way, fair use comes into play. And I'm going to call this a gray area. It's kind of not. The, the law is pretty clear and you should be able to get away with it. I'm going to call it a gray area because assholes can still sue you. Like anyone can sue anyone whether or not it is legal. So even though the law is probably on your side for a lot of this, if you do something controversial with the footage, a jackass could still sue you about it and it can still cost you legal fees even though you are probably within the letter of the law. So – For instance, even in a for-profit project, if you are transforming or commenting on the footage properly, you can probably get away with licensing big footage. However, let's say this. I'm not a lawyer. None of us here are lawyers. We're also not accountants. So you are probably almost definitely going to want to talk to a lawyer at some point to fully clarify. I'm just going to back that one up. Like that's that's really important. I think like we're we're giving our general industry advice, but this is one of those areas where you probably. Want a lawyer because also to clarify something Charles was saying, fair use is not – it's not um, a law in and of itself that just blanket says, oh, you can use stuff that you're transforming or critiquing. It's actually a legal argument that's used in court once you're already being sued. So yeah. you're sort of taking a risk. Like I don't want to discourage you, but I just want you to generally understand that you are taking a risk in the first place by using footage that you don't have permission to use. But for a short film that you're not monetizing, if your goal is to just share it, you're not trying to take it to festivals because festivals monetize because they sell tickets. You're just sharing it. You're using it in class. You're sharing it with others. But it's free and you're not making any money. 
you could probably get away with a couple of news clips, and many people do. You will frequently see things where there's a little montage of news clips or a little news clip on a TV screen and a thing for non-monetized work. That is something we have observed in the marketplace. But you don't want to put yourself in a situation if you think, you know, maybe this could be monetizable. I know people who have sold their short film to Amazon and made their money back. It's crazy. Amazon buys shorts, but they do. And so you want to know the chain of title that's there so that if you do sell it to Amazon, you know who you would have to pay in order for the rights to that. You also need to understand that there's some technical limitations on certain platforms. So, for instance, YouTube has copyright robots that look to take down copywritten material. The robots will take down footage that is arguably fair use. The robots are pretty aggressive. So, like every frame of painting, actually did a whole bunch of A-B tests on private accounts to see how much footage they could get away with using before the robots would take their footage down. Even though, arguably, from a copyright law perspective, every frame of painting were video essays that were commenting on the footage that were clearly within fair use. The robots would take it down, and rather than fighting the robots, the every frame of painting folks just tested their way to figure out what they could get away with. They did a beautiful post when they shut down every frame of painting explaining what they had done. However, now that they published that, I'm sure the robots changed the rules to adapt because these robots are always learning. Um, so there's the law and how it's actually practiced. And it's good to understand both of those things. Also, Oakley Anderson Moore did a great breakdown on fair use that's going to be linked to here. It's called 411 on fair use, and it is well use worth a read. But you can probably figure out a way to use some historic footage in your short. Also, we have a follow-up on last week's Asno Film School. J Jacob McSharma pointed out on Twitter, if you want to tag your footage as you shoot, Atomos products already let you do that. I own a Shogun Inferno, and I totally didn't know that. Um, now, it appears to only let you tag a whole shot, not individual time code, and it only works with Final Cut Pro 10, but it is out there. The feature does exist. Thank you, Jacob McSharma, for pointing that out. And thanks for the question, and thank you for the great answer, Charles. See everybody next week. So, Jizz, uh, could you tell us something? Sure. This is uh, relevant from... <laughs> <laughs> Melissa Anyways, Okay, on to some movies that are opening this week. Uh, coming to Amazon Prime Instant on July first is in coming. Oh boy! <laughs> to Amazon Prime Instant on July first is an inconvenient sequel, Truth to Power. This was Sundance's opening night film back in 2017, and it takes place 10 years after Al Gore's original environmental documentary, An Inconvenient Truth. While the first showed us all how real a threat climate change actually is, this, the follow-up, focuses on just how close we are to a real energy revolution. Specifically, it focuses on Gore's global efforts to persuade governmental leaders to invest in renewable energy, culminating in the landmark signing of 2016's Paris Climate Agreement, which, unfortunately, the U.S. is no longer a part of, which is kind of crazy <laughs> to think about. The film was written by Gore and directed by Bonnie Cohen and John Schenck. When it premiered at Sundance, Oakley Anderson Moore interviewed Dan Fung Dennis, who actually made a VR piece that accompanied the film's release called Melting Ice. You can read that interview titled How and Why Documentary Filmmakers at Sundance Are Using VR on the site. Oakley also did a great post at the end of last year that was um, all about how it was the year of the environmental doc, and she kind of broke down several of the new 
um, docs, you know, green docs. So we'll link to that in the podcast post as well. Yeah, and that was one of them. And coming to HBO is Goodbye Christopher Robin on July 1st. This A.A. Milne biopic came out last year to little fanfare but solid reviews. It is a behind-the-scene look at the life of author A.A. Milne and the creation of Winnie the Pooh, uh, the stories that were inspired by his son, C.R. Milne. J.J. So his son was a bear? His son just really liked honey. Oh, okay, okay. And I think he was a little, you know... Rotund. <laughs> Rotund stop laughing and, all the time. And he had no real friends. Oh, God. It's a very sad story. Okay. Yeah, his son was a stuffed animal. Yeah, he talks to stuffed animals. He was, <laughs> it's actually a very could, dark movie. <laughs> Only you guys could turn like the sweetest story into something dark. Gosh. Anyways, it features a talented cast with indie A-listers Margot Robbie and Domo Gleeson, and it was directed by Simon Curtis. It actually won the Audience Award for World Cinema at the Mill Valley Film Festival last year, which was one of our favorite festivals. Uh, And it was nominated for an award at the British Independent Film Awards as well. And opening this Friday on June 29th is Three Identical Strangers. This documentary won the Special Jury Prize Award for Storytelling at Sundance earlier this year. The story it tells is one of three complete strangers who accidentally discover that they are identical triplets separated at birth. The 19-year-old's joyous reunion catapults them to international fame, but it also unlocks an extraordinary and disturbing secret. It's that they all like Gotti. Uh, (laughs) The film is directed by Tim Wardle, and I look forward to checking it out. Do you guys remember this actually happening? Because like I was reading the synopsis and I was like, international fame. I, I, I was not aware of it before Sundance. Uh, well, to be fair, they're 76 now. Are they they're 76? 76 years old now? No. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. Oh, that was good. <laughs> I guess. Good prank. You, you really hosp- got us. What kind of hospital is that, though? Like, Did they accidentally get separated or like they were... Well, I gotta, I, we gotta see it. Yeah, we gotta. I'm, gotta, I'm down. We've got to find out the mysterious, disturbing secret. And they better be identical, because if of they're a. not, a. Milne's son. Exactly. They're all the same person. Yeah. Ooh. That's the secret. They're all psychological traumas that we're covering this week. It's like family members in the mind. <laughs> Winnie the Pooh, son, and, and the two strangers. Yeah. Three. Three. three <laughs> well, or... one's not a stranger. One's the character. Okay. Yeah. All right. One of them has to be the the main guy. I got you. Also coming to theaters on Friday is Leave No Trace, directed by Deborah Granick, who is probably best well known for discovering and directing Jennifer Lawrence's breakout role in Winter's Bone, which was nominated for an Oscar for Best Picture in 2011. In Leave No Trace, which premiered at Sundance this year, a father and his 13-year-old daughter are living off the grid in a vast urban park in Portland, Oregon, when a small mistake derails their lives forever. Boy, these uh, these um, log lines this week are very dramatic. The film is starring Thomas and McKenzie, who is poised to be the next J-Law, and Ben Foster, who you might recognize from Hell or High Water. I'll talk a little bit more about this film later because Granick and two of the film's producers will be on next Monday's podcast. My mind just went to Jude Law when you said J-Law. I actually thought that when I first wrote it down, but J-Law has only ever been Jennifer Lawrence. Okay. Yeah, that's her like, you know, that's her J-Lo name. Mm. Jude Law's cute, though. Yeah. Is kind of, it, he is, seems like a douche. Is the daughter in Whoa. it? He does. <laughs> Jeez. He's, he slept with the nanny. Jude Law? He yeah. slept with Fran Drescher? Let's <laughs> 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 don't air out all the dirty laundry oh here. Oh, my God. See, every one of these is turning into a dark, my goodness, mysterious... I, I'm calling it right now. The daughter is in the dad's mind. 
in Leave No Trace. She's not real. That's what I'm, I'm predicting. I saw the movie. No spoilers. Leave No Trace. We can't make a joke out of this next one. It's hard yeah, it's a, because a we're light, already. It's just lighthearted. Yeah. Know, we're, compared we're... to the other ones, it's really. Yeah. The next comedy coming out on June 29th is This Is Congo. Not actually a comedy. It's a documentary directed by Daniel McCabe, and it's an intense and unfiltered look into the lives of three characters surviving amongst the most recent cycle of conflict in the Democratic Republic of Congo, otherwise known as the M23 Rebellion. The film is beautifully shot, despite the fact that McCabe was a one-man band shooting in sometimes very dangerous and difficult conditions. And I have him on a podcast with Nathan Fitch of Island Soldier called How to Film in a War Zone. So we will link to that one in the podcast post. And now I'm just seeing that Friday is uh, June 29th. So I'll take this moment to, uh, though he never listens to this podcast, and thank God, because really sometimes I say too much, I think. The man who named me Jizz. My dad is turning. The man, the man from whose Jizz you emerged. My dad. <laughs> the, so th- the true J-Law. This is the best happy birthday wish uh, I think he's ever gotten, and then he'll never hear it. So happy birthday. Wow. Happy birthday, June, Dad. June 29th. Also, uh, do the right things uh, birthday. Hey. 29. John's dad did the right thing 28 oh, years ago. Years something, yeah. Now for some upcoming deadlines. Why don't you kick us off, Eric? Sure. And with a deadline of June 30th is the Roy Dean Summer Grant, which includes over $30,000 of in-kind services, including $3,500 in cash. And it's open for shorts, docs, and feature films with a budget under $500,000. They fund compelling stories about little-known subjects, historical films, and films that expose and bring important information to light. They also love to accept films about little-known people when there is a good story. Also with a deadline of June 30th is ScreenCraft's Spring 2018 Short Film Production Fund. Brought to you by ScreenCraft and Bondit, this fund doles out cash to shorts, features, docs, and series with up to $30,000 in financing and production services. ScreenCraft is offering two production grants per year to talented filmmakers for narrative features, short films, and TV pilot series scripts and documentaries that display originality, vision, and exceptional potential. Grant amounts will vary from $10,000 to $30,000, depending on the scale and merit of each project. This program includes creative development from the ScreenCraft team and production guidance and resources from Bondit Media Capital and Buffalo 8 Productions. And now moving on to festival deadlines, the Austin Film Festival has their deadline on June 29th. This is the late deadline. It takes place in Austin, Texas, of course, from October 25th to November 1st, 2018. We've talked about it numerous times on the show. Uh, this is one of the last times you'll be able to apply. It's been around for 25 years, and it's known as the Writers' Festival because accepted filmmakers also have access to their Screenwriters Conference, which is the largest in the world, and attracts producers, agents, managers, and development execs, as well as countless working screenwriters and filmmakers. So... Definitely apply to this one. It's a good one. And on June 30th, the Vermont International Film Festival has a deadline. This is the early bird deadline. The festival takes place in Burlington, Vermont from October 19th to the 28th. They've been around for 33 years, and although they show both documentaries and fiction films, features and shorts alike, it is more widely known as a documentary festival. If your film is selected, they host you in a hotel for up to two nights, and depending on your abode, They also pay for your travel expenses, so that's pretty good. And there are also plenty of cash prizes to win, very segmented award races. Um, You can check them all out on their site. 
And another news, I just realized my T-shirt's been on backwards this entire time. Hmm. Hmm. Oh. Granted, it has the same design on the back and front. I was going to say, I'm like, I'm pretty sure, yeah. Yeah, but I didn't get the message today, because for those of you who can't see us, which is all of you, all the boys wear plaid flannel today on this yeah, warm summer day. And I, yeah, it's almost the exact it's, replica. It's like low 70s. Who wears flannel in the low 70s, except you three? People from Northern California originally. Yeah, I guess. Hey, you don't know. Maybe we have uh, like a special date or something later on. Yeah, flannel. You Wait, know, maybe we uh, need just to dress us? up a little bit. Us oh, two? That's together? Us together. Maybe we need to coordinate it. That's oh. why. You don't know. You know? I love it. Night is well, young. Charles, Charles's shirt and Eric's shirt are even in the same, yeah. the same exact color. I'll take yeah. a picture. We'll put it on the post. <laughs> anyway, so uh, on July 2nd, you have the deadline for the Leeds International Film Festival. That's the regular deadline. It takes place in Leeds, which is in the UK, from November 1st to the 15th. It's an Academy Award and a BAFTA qualifying festival, and the festival presents nine national and international competitions for short films with total cash prizes of over 5000 bucks. Also, a quick mention, if you're wanting to speak on a panel at South by Southwest next year, believe it or not, it's already time to submit your ideas to the Panel Picker, which is the online system where both the voting public and the South by programmers assess your ideas. It's a pretty detailed but straightforward application, and I recommend you do it because if you get chosen, you get a free badge, and it's a great way to get yourself to one of our favorite festivals. The deadline for panel picker submissions is Friday, July 20th. Yeah, and that means that features and shorts and everything, all the submissions are pretty much open for South by uh, next year right now. Um, is that true? I, I didn't check. It's true, and they're, the film submission, the early bird deadlines aren't until August, um, but... It's kind of scary because, like, that's the one of the first ones that I'm going to be throwing my short at. So that's really exciting. So wake I up, goal. I feel confident it's going to be in, and we're all going to get to watch your film itself by next year. I can't freaking wait. And let's all submit a panel idea. Yeah, let's yeah, do it. We well, should, at least do an individual one. I did it last year. Yeah, didn't get in. Thanks a lot, listeners. <sighs> um, like puppet although song film or something. Yeah, something clay pigeons. Yeah. I've been successful twice before, so I guess you know. Two pluses and one minus. Bird, just that's... birds and movies. Birds and movies. Ooh. Yeah, that's You know bad. what? Honestly, it is sometimes those like rando panels like that that actually get in. We'll come up with something good. We'll let, we'll let you guys know and we'll ask you to vote and let us know too so we can vote on yours. Um, and in the meantime, per John's note, uh, we'll let you know, you know, we'll, we'll give you the heads up when those deadlines are are pending so that you know to get your films done. 2019. Festival circuit, starting. Yeah, baby. And this week's words of wisdom, uh, our own Emily Booter spoke with filmmaker Jim McKay recently about his latest film starring primarily non-actors, El Septimo Dia, his first feature in 13 years. It's currently in theaters thanks to Cinema Guild. Uh, we mentioned The Wire earlier, so this is also uh, very coincidental. Known for directing episodes of The Wire, Breaking Bad, Big Love, and Mr. Robot, McKay's return to fi- feature-length filmmaking was a long time coming. And he explained why, career-wise, it turned out this way. Quote, Once you start directing television, then you keep getting asked to do it, and then you do it some more. The first year, I did one show, The Wire. The second, I did three. The third, I probably did four. And then within four or five years, I was doing six to seven TV shows a year. Working in TV, you get a lot of free time in between shows, but that doesn't necessarily mean you can take that free time and write a bunch of scripts. For me, whenever a show wraps, I need time, because it's so mentally and physically exhausting. I'm not a multitasker, and I can't, like, take a break on set of a TV show and work for 15 minutes on a new script. I'm not wired that way. 
So even though I had written an El Septimo Dia in 2004, I didn't have the opportunity really to take it out and make it happen until all these years later when I had A, saved up some money that I could invest in the movie, and B, saved up some more money so that I could take at least six months off and not get paid. I initially thought, I'll do TV shows for a year or two, and then I'll make a movie. It just didn't happen that way with me. But I'm not going to wait another 10 years. I'm going to figure out a way to make it happen a lot more often. My new challenge is to figure out a way to do both somehow. Um, and of course, obviously, Jim has the really great problem to have in a way, because look at these great TV shows that he is working on. Uh, but on a more macro level, you could kind of see that as what you kind of want to get back to in, in a weird way that you know, TV industry was his day job, uh, and he was still trying to find time and raise money during his day job to work on the passion project that he had. And it took 13 years, and nobody would say that he was uh, unsuccessful in those 13 years between films because of the prestigious work he was doing. Uh, but he had to really tell himself, I'm going to take six months off, not get paid, and make sure I can do this because it's drawing me back, which I think is always a need and urge that artists have. My God, I can relate to that so much, and I bet a lot of our listeners can too. It's it's like almost painful to hear, but exciting that he made the leap. I mean, I started shooting my current doc project almost 10 years ago. So it's like, and docs are different because docs take place over time. So they, they tend to take, have a longer production schedule. But I have, haven't even really touched it since I've been working full time at No Film School. I mean, it's just a reality um, of this business, but it's encouraging to hear, you know, that someone like Jim made it happen and it's out there and uh, in theaters now. Yeah. And in shout-outs this week, nomination round voting for this year's Emmy Awards ended on Monday, and nominations will be announced on July 12th, so we want to send out a big good luck to those of you whose projects were under consideration. I hope we'll get to uh, report some listeners' names in a few months. And um, as mentioned earlier, Academy Award-nominated filmmaker Deborah Granick will be on next Monday's podcast for her new film, Leave No Trace, along with two producers from the film, both of whom are named Anne. I spoke with the trio, and it was a very enlightening conversation that I think any filmmaker can get a lot out of because we talked a lot about this key ingredient of willingness that you ideally want to foster among your entire cast and crew to make production go as well as possible. So that's like willingness to go the extra mile, willingness to be flexible when, when circumstances change. And we talked about how do you actually foster that quality of, of willingness you know, with your whole team. We also talked about how they managed to shoot with only practical lighting in the ever-changing conditions of the Oregon woods. It's a really good conversation. And uh, John has editing cut out for him because people were kind of walking in and out of the room. But uh, it's, it's going to be a good one. The title should be How to Foster That Quality with Ben Foster. Mm -hmm. And then eat Bananas Foster. There we go. I think it works. I love Bananas Foster. Uh, if you, too, like Bananas Foster, then please subscribe to the No Film School podcast anywhere you find your podcasts. If you do use iTunes, um, rating us and leaving those nice comments really goes a long way, makes us feel good, and also helps other people find the show. So we appreciate it. Um, also, of course, you can check out nofilmschool.com for all the articles we talked about today. And uh, new, new, brand new original content about the craft of filmmaking every single day. Meanwhile, please stay in touch, not only on Instagram, as you heard about earlier, <laughs> but on Twitter, where I also am at Liz Film. I'm at Eric Lures. 
I'm at jizz underscore John underscore jizz. <laughs> Jim underscore John underscore Jim. Uh... Since we don't know the age of our audience, maybe don't follow us on Instagram. <laughs> Some of the content there could be a little racy. True. Charles is at Charles Hain, and we are all at No Film School. What's on your Instagram? Or are you talking about mine? Oh, I'm talking about all of ours. Oh, We're yeah. all a bunch of freaks. Let's yep. be honest. Yeah. We're three identical strangers. There you go. <laughs> we are. You guys were kind of three identical strangers today in your plaid shirts. Anyway, see you next week. Hashtag jizzcam. <laughs> <laughs>